Welcome back to the 99, where we're focused on brewing a better competitive commander. I'm your host, Patrick Marlette, and this is the ultimate Belby Corrupted Observer deck tech and tutorial, at least my version of the ultimate Belby. I remember pulling her for a draft I shot for Channel Fireball, funny enough, and ultimately landed on her being the first ever cold brew deck for the channel. If you guys don't know what that is, it's the live stream deck tech building sessions uh, that I shoot every Tuesday. Times are being rearranged. Let me know what time works best for you. But moving on, I love this girl. I think she's the best Golgari has to offer and I cannot wait to lay out the game plan for you. The I'll just call it the five stages of Belby. That is the opening hand, turn one, two, three, and what you should not be playing in this deck, at least from my own experience. And of course, there are alternative ways to brew for her. I'm sure there's a lot of great takes on her, but this is one uh, I found most success with. Now, before we jump into this video, I want you all to know the best way to help support this channel is, of course, via Patreon. You know the drill. There's a link in the description that will lead you to all of the benefits, but as our members know, there's a monthly topic that we get to discuss here, as well as a new tier for the Brewmaster series, which is a new episodic show that's going to be featured on the channel that I'm so excited about. So if you have not read about that, go on over to Patreon and check that out. But before the monthly, Guys, if you can't afford to do the Patreon pledge, I totally get that. If you are going to pick up cards for this list, excuse me, if you're going to be picking up cards for Belby, you must use the link in the description over at TCG Player. It costs you nothing in addition, but it does go to help support the channel. So if you care about the production here, that is an alternative way to hook us up. Now, outside of that, guys, the monthly topic for the month of March is... What are your thoughts on the current reserve list buyouts and how have they affected your paper magic consumption? Whew. Okay, that is the first breath I've taken since the start of this video. But guys, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the monthly topic. This is one that's been a sore spot for a lot of new collectors, folks trying to get into CDH now as of 2021. It's very difficult because a lot of the staple cards that we play with frequently, everything from Wheel of Fortune to Gilded Drake to Time Twister, which is already insane, have just soared in price. So I'd love to know your thoughts on the secondary card market right now and this could even extend to a discussion of the reserve list itself your thoughts on that should it be demolished should it stay I, me personally i don't really care that my chance of mephistopheles is 1600 dollars. i i never cared for it to be that price to begin with i would never wish anyone to spend that much for a piece of cardboard from the 90s, if I'm not mistaken. But again, I'd love to hear your thoughts and just a sidebar to this conversation, proxy. If it's this is a casual game, despite myself saying this is a CDH channel, this is a casual format. If you're playing at home, it should not matter whether you're playing with a proxy or not. Just don't use the proxies that were featured in my previous YouTube short, okay? It's a little bit more refined than that. But jumping into the video today, Belby Corrupted Observer. Oh boy, so much to discuss here, a lot to unpack, and I'm gonna start by reading her off, and then we're of course gonna talk about what the optimal Belby hand looks like. So for Golgari, a mana value of two, legendary creature, zombie elf, two subtypes that are really good. There's a lot of strategies that play with zombie, play with elf. We don't leverage them here, but I'm sure there's a take on Belby that will utilize those two subtypes, so bear those in mind if that's something of interest. 2-2 two, two body. At the beginning of each player's post-combat main phase, that player adds two colorless for each of your opponents who lost life this turn. Damage causes life loss. So anything that would make your opponent's life dip, it doesn't matter by how much, so long as it dipped, you get on your post-combat main phase 
too generic. So in total, and this scales, so Belby's not so great 1v1, she's okay in a three-person game, but in an ideal four-person game of Commander, uh, Belby's gonna be generating six generic, six colorless for you. Now, what can you do with this? Sadly, I'll state before we even jump into this that there are a lot of placeholders in the Belby list. This is one of those lists that's like a fine wine. It will only get better and more refined with time. It, there's so many spots that we could stick an asterisk on and say that this is just a placeholder and I'll even mention some as we go through today. But there is a ton that you can do with six mana. Now, I want to state that if you've been looking at Belby on the outside looking in and you've wondered like how damning is this because your opponents also get it. Do note that the damage, it needs to be opponents, uh, your opponents, right? So it doesn't matter who uh, is receiving the Belby mana, they can't swing at you to get to colorless because it needs to be your opponents. So at most, they can swing at this opponent, this opponent, and generate four. And if they happen to have like an Arid Mesa or an Ancient Tomb, that individual is my opponent. So they can too get six generic mana post-combat main phase. That is a lot to leverage and a lot of swing around and they can play with that and cast their Peer into the Abyss sooner or cast their Ad Nauseam sooner. It's dreadful, it's scary. I, it's never happened. It's never happened to me. People generally forget that Belby's even there. And I'll remind individuals, because it's it's on you, you know, it's not a May. I do need to tell you that you have Belby mana to leverage, but no one really plays for Belby because she's not typically a part of anyone's strategy, unless she happens to be at the table. So again, if you're on the outside looking in, don't be scared of people leveraging her. I, I'm trying to think of the worst thing that's ever happened, and it's really just them getting two additional generic mana to push past some of my stacks pieces. If anything usually the way this deck is played you're not going to give them an opportunity to leverage belby and the other thing to note is depending on the first stage of belby we'll be discussing in a second the hands you keep the mulligan rules to this list you might not even play belby until turn three or four in given games you're not always aiming to have her on turn two which is sort of the core philosophy for the list, but this list does not mulligan very well. So let's talk about the first stage of Belbe, the opening hand. In an ideal world, before we even go over any of the core cards, you're gonna want at least a land or two, a pinger, which we'll talk about first and foremost here, a pinger coupled with a handful of stacks pieces, maybe a tutor or two, and a bomb. And by bomb, I mean something that you can slam on turn two, because as early as turn two, you can have six generic mana to play with. And that is if we drop one of our pingers on turn one. So the ideal Belby hand looks like that. That's a lot to juggle. It sounds like a lot of cards to have. And as a matter of fact, you don't always get there. And I highly recommend you do not mulligan down below five cards. Sometimes you just need to keep the birds of paradise and be happy that you can ramp into manually your Trini Sphere, and that's just gonna have to be okay. Because a lot of our game plan, a lot of our core cards are over three CMC anyways. So like the Severe of Resistance, the Thorn of Amethyst, these are things we're gonna have to push past and struggle to deal with, and that's okay. Also bear in mind that when we look at our pingers, they're obviously the ideal uh, creature for this list because they're gonna provide us the Belby mana we need. 
However, any dork can act as not only, you know, tap for a forest, Land of War Elves, you can swing at someone and provide me two generic mana. So there's always value with our creatures, provided we have a target to swing at. Now, moving on, there's six pingers in the list and there's an honorary seventh. And I don't want to say that, I don't want to say that the seventh slot, it, 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 again, this is one of those asterisks for the list. As a matter of fact, um, we won't start there. I'll end there. It's something that needs to be replaced and is frequently seen in a lot of Belby list. I just don't think it's good enough. But the first pinger we're going to discuss, this is one of the lesser pingers, is Deathrite Shaman. Feels weird saying that about Deathrite Shaman. It is a fantastic card, don't get me wrong, but if you don't know what it is, also Golgari, at a mana value of 1. Creature Elf Shaman, 1-2 body. You can tap it to exile target land card from a graveyard, add 1 mana of any color to your mana pool. So this comes after the colon, people can react to this, people can exile the thing, people can Noxious Revival the thing, take it away from you so you don't get the exiled land to ramp out. That's okay. Um, it's not the end of the world. The real reason we're looking at Deathrite Shaman today is because of its second ability. Pay a black, tap it, exile target instant or sorcery card from a graveyard. Each opponent loses two life. Oh, there you go. We just triggered Belby three times. I say this is lesser because we have to pay black every single time we do this and we need to have a valid target. So yes, it's not difficult to have valid targets for Deathrite Shaman, it is something that can be problematic. Moving on to arguably one of the best pingers for the list, we have Mardu Shadowspear. For one black creature human warrior, one one body, whenever Mardu Shadowspear attacks, each opponent loses one life. So turn one is going to look like this. Drop Mardu Shadowspear, turn two, drop Belby. Swing with Mardu Shadowspear. We have six mana to play with. Excellent. All right, stage two of our plan is already going well. Stage two, stage one? I don't even know how I labeled these. <laughs> Effectively, you want to have a pinger on board turn one every game. And Mardu Shadowspear has the added benefit of having dash. Dash reads for one generic, one black. You may cast this spell for its dash cost. If you do, it gains haste and it is returned from the battlefield to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step. So in a pinch, mid to late game, you've had to sacrifice your pinger for some cause like an Eldritch Evolution to get some form of stacks piece on the board. Totally fine. Provided you have Mardu Shadow Spear in your hand, you can always lay it down and reliably get damage on all of your opponents by casting Mardu for its dash cost. Next up on the menu is Night Market Lookout for one black, human rogue, one one body. These all are gonna sound very familiar to each other. Whenever Night Market Lookout becomes tapped, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. So this is rather unique compared to the other pingers in our list. If it becomes tapped, is not attacking only. So you could use this to crew a vehicle, you could use this with a springleaf drum. There's a variety of ways to tap creatures that aren't attacking. And this is really great in a pinch. However, I don't have any sort of ways incorporated in this list to do that. We're generally swinging with Night Market Lookout and it's okay. Also, the life gain is nice, but negligible at best. Next up, we have Pulse Tracker. One black, one one body, vampire rogue. Whenever Pulse Tracker attacks, each opponent loses one life. This is one of the most vanilla of the pingers. It's one of the weaker ones at that as a one one, but it still does the trick. It's equally advisable to add into the list. Use every single one CMC when it taps, when it attacks, does the thing. Next up, we have arguably the worst pinger for the list, which is Thornbow Archer at one black, one two body elf archer. 
Whenever Thornbore Archer attacks, each opponent who doesn't control an elf loses one life. Look, sometimes someone's going to have an elf. It's it's really not that rare. So more often times than not, you can sort of mitigate this by slamming Thornbow Archer into that player. So let's just say that someone laid an Arbor Elf down, totally fine. You're like, oh, I'm only gonna get, I can't, how do I make this person lose life? Swing Thornbow Archer at them. You swing Thornbow Archer at them. If they don't block with Arbor Elf, then you will get damage from Thornbow onto that player, as well as pinging your two other opponents. Still providing you the six generic, but again, if there are more elves, then you have bigger problems. Again, it's one of those cards that I would say has an asterisk next to its name, but there really isn't anything else to replace it as of yet. However, do bear that in mind if there are future pingers that you need to cycle into the list. This is one to remove. Along with our pinger suite is the Vicious Conquistador at one black vampire soldier, one two body. Whenever Vicious swings, each opponent loses one life. This is a great one. I hope they all come out this way for the future. Totally fine. It, it can attack. We don't need a night market lookout every time. I'll take more vicious conquistadors, please. Lastly, and leastly, leastly, is that a word? Sanctum of Stone Fangs. Generic and a black, legendary enchantment shrine. At the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, each opponent loses X life, and you gain X life, where X is the number of shrines you control. Now, Sanctum of Stone Fangs is the one that has a hard asterisk next to it. This is one that needs to be removed immediately. It is our honorary seventh pinger. However, this does set the dial back for your turn to Belby. Unless you happen to have a mana crypt in your opening hand to drop this with a swamp or bayou or whatever you have, you're not going to be able to do the turn to Belby trick that this whole deck is built around with Sanctum of Stonefangs. We want all of our pingers to be one CMC. However, we will make an excuse for this because it is not a concern of anyone else's. No one's gonna try to remove Sanctum of Stonefangs. No one ever has, no one wants to. It's not what someone's gonna waste a removal on. However, it's still gonna do the trick for you like any one of these creatures. I will state, although the creature pingers are more fragile than having Sanctum of Stonefangs, and that is a secondary benefit here, we do have cards that leverage the heck out of our creatures in this list. I said Eldritch Evolution earlier, but there are other cards that sacrifice things to do things in the deck, and you're going to want to incorporate as many creatures as you can to get those abilities to go off. Now, moving on with this list, specifically Fiend Artisan. I should just state, if you didn't watch the Brew Wars, I'll encourage you to watch it after this video, but you'll see me use Fiend Artisan to much effect, and Fiend Artisan needs to eat things to do the thing. Very, very good. All right, second stage down. I, I came up with the five stages of Belby off the bat there. I don't remember what the stages are, but I think second stage, first stage is for opening hand. Second stage is our pingers. Okay, we all know what we're working with now. The third stage, all important. What do we do with six mana? Well, I'm gonna go over the suite of cards that operate with six generic mana, the things you could be doing on your turn two immediately on turn two. This is the coolest part of this list. This is what we're working towards. Again, pinger on turn one, if you can. There's only six in the list, so it's understandable if you don't hit it on a number of mulligans, and it's okay to keep a hand that has a pinger without one of these turn two drops. Provided you have a tutor or something else to do with that hand, don't sweat it. But we have ramp, the stacks package, and I'm gonna stop there because there are other cards that we can play but that would be listing far too many cards. 
most important stuff to be dropping on turn two are these. Hedron Archive. Just reprinted in Timespot Remastered. Link in the description. Uh, old Border and Foily. I love it. For generic, artifact, tap it for two. You can pay two, tap it again, sacrifice Hedron Archive, and draw two cards. So why is this card important to us? Well, we are going to be playing a lot of stacks pieces that are going to make it difficult for everyone to cast spells, but if you happen to have a Hedron Archive, it's that much easier. And a lot of our spells have generic values in their cost, so being able to tap for two is more than enough in a lot of cases. Also, if you notice, the Belby cocktail has a lot of things being juggled in there. There are a lot of elements in play. We are going to lose our hands very quickly. So you'll notice there's a lot of draw engines in the list with a lot of utilities to pull them out. This just happens to be one of those engines. It is a one-shot for the deck. However, when you're done with Hedron Archive, usually mid-game, you can crack it for the draw two. This is great for hopefully finding solutions and or drawing into tutored solutions and or finding your Veil of Summer or some form of protection as you go into a combo turn. And same story for the next Archive well, Hedron, rather, we'll be discussing Dreamstone Hedron. So for six generic artifacts, it's gonna sound extremely familiar, tap it for three, pay three, draw three. Uh, you need to sacrifice it, mind you. Um, same story, same story. Turn two. Hedron, uh, Dreamstone Hedron, is that okay? Okay, tap it, uh, Trinity Sphere, is that cool? All on turn two, we just spent nine mana worth of stuff. This isn't possible in many decks, uh, not as reliably as Belby. Again, you just need the Thornbow Archer of the world, Pulse Tracker, anything other than Thornbow Archer, but sometimes he works. So, so long as you have that going for you, you can drop a lot of stuff from your hand. Now the last ramp piece I want to talk about, and yes, there's like Soul Ring in here and Mana Crypt, I've mentioned those. Those are obviously tacitly understood to go into a list. Uh, this is a CDH channel, they're kind of staples. You just throw them in every list. We like consistency. But the next ramp piece isn't necessarily a ramp piece. It's a cost reducer, but it is such a good cost reducer. Ugin the Ineffable. You can't F with this guy. For six generic. Legendary Planeswalker Ugi, colorless spells you cast cost two less to cast. Well, that's a lot of spells in our list. This, oh, so, oh, so good. Okay, so we have two Ugins in this deck. We'll talk about the other one later, but he's colorless. Plus one, exile the top card of your library face down and look at it. Look at it, damn it. You know, not may, you need to look at it and make sure if you're an opponent, make sure this person looks at that card. Create a 2-2 colorless spirit creature token. When that token leaves the battlefield, put the exiled card into your hand. Now, most people just exile the top card of their library and consider that the 2-2 creature. It's essentially the same thing. But what's great about this is whenever that leaves the battlefield, doesn't matter how it leaves the battlefield, you get to put the exiled card into your hand. I So I always have excellent blockers. Great. I always have excellent attackers, right? Let's just say we lose our pinger. I can use this. Oh, we do have the Fiend Artisan down. I can eat this, put it in my hand. Mind you, you get to look at the, the card, you know what it is, right? So it's great draw utility for the list, coupled with great cost reduction, works extremely well in tandem with Toxic Deluge, I have to say. When you have three of these down and you're just like, okay, Deluge for five, I'll destroy the board, D draw three. It's not draw either, mind you. So it does get around Hull Breachers, all that good stuff. Fantastic plus one, coupled with a minus three of destroy target permanent, that's one or more colors. 
everything. There's, yeah. <laughs> Most of the things I can think of, this is gonna hit, you know, other than other, you know, opposing stacks pieces, but we want those. We want those. The only stacks piece we don't want is like a rest in peace, but that's white. Oh my God. Oh, it's all making sense now. Stony silence, oh, it's white. There's so many singular colored or multicolored things that this just destroys. Again, you're generally gonna go plus one here, unless you need to use the negative three. Oogie starts with four loyalty. You got room to play. Love it, love it. Run this card. If someone's playing Belby in your play group, or you are, and isn't running Ugin the Ineffable, correct that. Now the stacks pieces we're gonna talk about, I'm just gonna throw them all on the screen. These are sort of like the bread and butter of the CDH stacks world. These are just ones you incorporate. They are our tax spells. So we have things like Spear of Resistance, Thorn of Amethyst, and Trini Sphere. Now Trini Sphere isn't technically a tax. It is, if the spell happens to be under three CMC, it will correct that to being three CMC or mana value, I should say. However, uh, it does fit and fall in line into the tax suite. But these other two, uh, one is forgiving and that's Thorn of Amethyst. Non-creature spells cost one more to play. We have a lot of creatures in this list. So this does forgive at least our play lines and our strategy. The other less forgiving one is Sphere of Resistance. Spells cost one more to cast. Love it, excellent, always use it. It's a must for the deck. Uh, these three are must includes for the deck in my opinion. Uh, the best case scenario for us is to have the taxes on the board so that we can go off um, without any sort of interruption. Trinity Sphere being the better of all of these. A lot of our win cons, again, a lot of our spells that are gonna help us win the game happen to be three CMC or more anyway. So if people are tapped out off turn, there's no way they can cast a force of will into a Trinity Sphere. You want all three of these. With that out of the way, these next ones are a little subjective, but they are the ones that I find to be best for this list. And I realize now that I didn't, I neglected to add one that I wanna start with because it is my absolute favorite. We have all of the orbs and spheres floating around in this list, and this is by far my favorite. From Betrayers of Kamigawa, we have Orb of Dreams. For three generic artifact, permanents come into play tapped. Well, what does this hinder? I don't know, a Dockside Extortionist? This just crushes that plan. I love it when someone casts their Dockside into Orb and just forgets that treasure tokens happen to be treasure token permanent cards and also come into play tapped. Uh, it's, it's my favorite effect for the list. So Root Maze is here for this very reason. However, Orb of Dreams, very turn twoable. It happens to be three generic. Do our game plan and play lines and strategies still work with Orb of Dreams, Pat? I hear you ask. Uh, yes, does Micaias and Triskelion work tapped? Totally. Does Necrotic Ooze still win tapped? Totally. It doesn't matter. Tapped, untapped, upside down. We're, we're gonna win the game with those cards. So Orb of Dreams, Root Maze are must for the list. Orb of Dreams, the pinnacle. I love this card. It's seldom often seen, but it does far more than you realize. Uh, particularly if there's a strategy and or a list that cares about having creatures come into play and attack people, like you do the dual caster mage line of play, right? It's ubiquitous with a lot of mono red lists. You just happen to incorporate that play line because it's it's good, it works. Well, they come into play tapped. So no, I say no to that. Love Orb of Dreams. I can't believe I forgot. There's just so, there's so many cards. This is gonna be a long video and I'm sorry. So I'm gonna try to speed through this. Static Orb, another orb. What's this one do? 
3 CMC. Artifact. As long as Static Orb is untapped... It, oh, oh god. Oh, we can really shoot our foot here. <laughs> Players can't untap more than two permanents during their untap step. I will recommend you Static Orb before you Orb of Dreams. How about that? Same with Trini's Sphere, right? Do that. Do that and you'll be okay, right? And again, because you have six mana, you could actually do both on the same turn. Sequencing. Remember your sequencing. I'm glad we had that discussion here. Uh, this is fantastic. Again, the things you're going to untap, uh, maybe a land in the pinger. A land in a pinger. You have seven mana on turn three. That seems good. Coupled with another land you play for that turn, you have eight mana. And a static orb. You're shutting down all of those proactive lists. Uh, I can just set all these rocks on the field now. Yeah, I got one land. Didn't matter. Yeah, you're going to get to untap two of those things. So... Enjoy figuring out which ones you want to untap. Speaking of tapping and untapping, Tangle Wire for three generic artifacts, Fading Four, comes in with four fading counters. There's a trigger on upkeep to remove a fading counter. If you don't know how this works, if you have two triggers on a singular card, unlike modal spells where you have to do the modes in the order they're listed, you could pick how triggers go on the stack. So on your turn because of the second trigger at the beginning of each player's upkeep that player taps an untapped artifact creature or land he or she controls for each fade counter on tangle wire well you can let the fading counter resolve first so that you only have three fading counters to resolve on your turn right that's the trick with this so you're going to tap tangle wire happens to be an artifact coupled with i don't know belby and another land oh we still have our pinger and we still have another land from our previous turn coupled with another land for this turn is anywhere between seven to eight mana if we haven't had mana crypt even more you get the idea we get to rocket through our turns while we are stunting our opponents that is the whole plan here the whole plan this next tax piece um there's really not there's nothing as damning i've only lost hmm, i i don't want to I, I don't think I've lost very many games when I've laid this down on turn two, and that is God Pharaoh's statue. 6 CMC, legendary artifact. Spells your opponent's cast cost two more to cast. This, wham bam, thank you ma'am, is exactly what this list wants. Every single, if every single 6 CMC card could be this good, I would be very happy. Must include every single Belby list. Run this. Don't care if your friends hate you. You decide to play stacks. Come to the party with stacks. This is the stacks piece. At the beginning of your end step, each opponent loses one life. That's just salt in the wounds, insult to injury. They can't do anything about it anyways. Be happy you laid this down. And it's it's odd. It's, it's seldom often countered if this does land on turn two. Generally speaking, people try to accept the fact that there's God Pharaoh statue, use this time to build up their board state, and then use removal or bounce to clear the God Pharaoh statue. It generally doesn't get countered because counters are generally saved for game-winning plays. This only hurts three players, right? So if one player would decide that this deserves a counter, well then really, you're only helping two opponents. I don't care. You've just removed a counter from your hand to stop this. I feel fantastic. It was only affecting you three anyways. I feel, fa I feel great up and down whether this resolves or not. And it's threatening enough that people are probably going to want to stop it. Speaking of asymmetrical effects, God Pharaoh statue, again, best, it's best in class. Best in class. We need more of these. And we need more of these. Karn the Great Curator. Um, it's N and Null Rod. Have you heard of Null Rod? Well, this is like Null Rod, 
right? For four generic legendary planeswalker Karn, activated abilities of artifacts your opponents control can't be activated. That's really the only important part we need to talk about here. Again, we're going to be slamming down big creatures and big dumb things to keep this around, so it's going to be very difficult for our opponents to remove. However, uh, plus one, uh, it comes in with five loyalty counters, I should mention. So on turn two, it's going to be very difficult for them to start breaking down on Karn unless someone, you know, early game Krom and is hitting the Karn, whatever. That's fine. Again, it's only helping two opponents trying to kill Karn. And, you know, the table's going to talk about all your stacks and how they need to level you. Uh, let's just hope they don't get there. It's hard when you do all this on turn two. This is just turn two we're talking about still. Until your next turn, up to one target non-creature artifact becomes an artifact creature with power and toughness equal to its converted mana cost. This is how you destroy, this is how you destroy mana crypts, mox diamonds, chrome moxes, mox opals, mox ambers, all the mox and fun stuff you see in a CDH setting. You destroy it one at a time with this. And or that, what is it? The Hedron, Dreamstone Hedron? That's a 6-6? Six, six? You laugh, but some scenarios, God Pharaoh statue, animate that shit. Let the God Pharaoh have a have a turn at smacking people. Because a 6-6 six, six is a pretty big deal in a lot of scenarios. It's going to put damage on the board. And it's another way to ping your opponent. Six damage is way more than a ping, but you get what I'm saying. It's not just utility for moving things. It's also a great way to get damage on the board still. And sometimes games come down to attrition with stacks. That's just how it happens. Even the best, the most refined stacks list, they might seem like they're waffling, but sometimes it's just hard to pull in the solutions. Maybe you need to use your tutors for more stacks, more ways to remove things. That's okay. We can play the game of attrition better than anyone with Belby. So do not forget the plus one here as an added benefit. We're not gonna read the minus two. Yes, you can pull things from exile, but it's very rare that any of your artifacts get sent to exile. Moving on. So, oh gosh, that is, that is the turn two suite. And mind you again, I am not, I did not read, pull up the list, look at all the cards. You'll realize that there's a ton more things that we can do on turn two. I just want to go over the most important, the most essential pieces that you kind of want to look for this Bellaby cocktail to have in your opening hand. The things that you're going to mull down for. Again, never lower than five. The stack suite, the ramp to help us going forward. Because on turn three, well, <laughs> everyone talks about the turn two with Bellaby, but I don't think folks realize how devastating turn three is. Because if you did the math, We've played two lands, and we're making six mana on turn two. So turn three, even if we miss our land drop, is anywhere between eight to ten mana on average. So what do we do on turn three? <laughs> mm. How about Void Winnower? Eldrazi. I'm talking about Eldrazi on a CDH channel, and I'm not just talking about the ones that shuffle. So for nine mana, creature Eldrazi. Again, play your land. You have Void Winnower. 11-9 body. Your opponents can't cast spells with even converted mana cost. That seems negligible, right? We just, I talked about delay in a recent review, counterspell, Thassa's Oracle, Dockside Extortion. Hey, there's so, Underworld Breach. What are the, tell me all the important things that are 2CMC. I, honestly, it's the top of the curve for everyone's list. You shut it all down. People think that Void Winner's effect is negligible, both of these stacks pieces, but I just read off one. 
but it does so much more than you realize. And it kind of sucks having correct plays against Void Winner where you're like, oh, you actually can't do that. I'm abrupt decay happens to be. I know it's not counterable, but you can't even cast that. Um, <laughs> it's good. And zero is an even value in the world of MTG. So yes, Lotus Petals, Jeweled Lotus. I'm sorry if you didn't get that down earlier. It's not going to happen now. Your opponents can't block with creatures with even converted mana cost. Well, you calculate that because when you are going to attack with your pingers from here on out, you're going to swing at that person. What's your commander CMC? Thornbow Archer. Thornbow Go. You get the idea. Void Winnerer. Excellent stacks piece. It's an 11-9 body. Wow. The next card I want to talk about. Who says blue gets all the fun? Who says blue gets all the counters? Kozilek, the Great Distortion, and I, oh my gosh, the games, the games I crush with Kozilek, it's just, and again, it seems so laughable, but like, if you wanted to play CDH, and you wanted to play big dumb creatures, big dumb Eldrazi, this is the deck, here, here you go, on turn three, it is not difficult, ask the Discord, ask the Patreon members. Maybe the Patreon members can speak up in the comments and, and just let you know how many times I cast Kozilek the Great Distortion when I play with them, if I'm playing Belby. For eight generic and two colorless, 12-12 body legendary creature Eldrazi, when you cast, and this is the main reason we play Kozilek. Whenever you cast Kozilek the Great Distortion, cast, if you have fewer than seven cards in hand, draw cards equal to its difference. So, you're gonna counter Kozilek, okay. That makes sense because of the, the ability we're gonna talk about in a second. I'm still gonna draw five cards, is that cool? Draw, we need draw utilities for this list. Kozilek is, is really, when I built the list initially, I put Kozilek in here, this was after the cold brew if I'm not mistaken. I put it in here because I realized I needed draw. I was losing my hand quickly because I just, I generate so much mana, I'm able to do so much that I run out of a hand. So commonly on turn three, I've got anywhere between two to four cards left or less in some cases, right? If I had to mull down. Kozlik says to me, hey buddy, it's okay. Let's drive five to six cards. Is that cool? And then if it resolves, it has menace. So we have a 12-12 with menace ping baby let's ping discard a card with converted mana cost of x uh mana value i should say counter target spell with mana value cost of x mana value cost this is not going to stick until after strixhaven but i i've every time i've landed kozilek i want to say that i've countered on average three things at least three things provided I needed to. And at this stage of the game, turn three, you've laid stacks. People are trying to win at this point. They're trying to, the, at least the proactive list, are trying to push past all of the stacks you're laying down and you're making it so difficult. And now it just got that much more difficult because my mana curve is probably nearly identical to yours, barring a few expensive ass things. But if I've got an Orin Frostfang in hand because of this guy, I can counter your force will. Any two drop, one drop, three drop, I'm gonna counter everything. Everything. Pact of Negation, oh, lo and behold, this Mana Crypt I don't need anymore. It's um, it's great, it works, uh, it's fantastic for the list. It was initially for draw, but let me tell you, counter in Golgari, as good as it is in any color. Now, the next card I wanna talk about, there was a game 
not too long ago where I double Ugand. I had a win separately, but I chose Ugin, the spirit dragon. 8 CMC, comes in with 7 loyalty. Plus 2, Ugin the spirit dragon deals 3 damage to any target. Cool. I'm going to kill every hate bear. Uh, that's disrupting me. Like, the opposition agent, like, you look, it's fine. For now. <laughs> I'll kill it later. Negative X. Exile each exile. Each permanent with converted mana cost of X or less. That's one or more colors. At a certain point, pending your board, you can get rid of Belby. And I should have stated this from the start, you're not always going to want to keep Belby around, particularly after you've laid all of this hate. Because, you know, the Trini Spheres, the, the tax pieces of the world that are holding people back, folks can get around that if they just happen to have an Ancient Tomb, right? Well, you could say, I'll oh, just get rid of Belby. It's fine. And all of your board states. And now, how do you handle Ugin? How do you handle my board? And I've got, in the game, I double Ugin'd. Well, I happen to have a 2-2. Blocker. Blocker. Uh, again, super laughable. Turn 3 all the time. This is turn 3-able all the time. You don't even need to play a land per turn, and you have Ugin the Spirit Dragon. Lastly, and this is what I generally play for, and I can confidently say I haven't lost a game I've played Ugin the Spirit Dragon, because generally you're going to plus 2, and then you're going to negative 10, gain 7 life, draw 7 cards, then put up to 7 permanent cards from your hand onto the battlefield. I've... I've never lost with Ugin, and I've ultimated Ugin at least half the games I've cast Ugin. <sighs> Again, it doesn't feel real. This doesn't sound like CDH, but I promise, it happens. Ugin the Spirit Dragon, one of the last additions to this list. When I realized what turn 3 had in store, I realized I was, I was really building and planning this wrong. I really should have added all these things from the get-go. Also on turn three, because turn two, you know, you're relying on your land base to put Belby down. But on turn three, if you still happen to have that green sun zenith, now this is like an honorary card I wanted to mention for this list because these are all just bombs that you get to play with. But mind you, because green sun zenith has a value of X and we make six mana, what are some things, what are some green creatures we can grab with six mana? on turn three. Well, the two bombs that I want to discuss today, if you don't know what Green Sun Zenith is, it's on the screen now, but you search your library for a green creature card with converted mana cost of X or less and put it onto the battlefield, shuffle Green Sun Zenith, you get that value all day, every day. You're going to keep playing this card unless someone counters it, all right? Which they might if you decide to grab Bane of Progress. It's on the screen. Four generic, double green, none of this matters. You're cheating it out. Unless you're hard casting it, because that's perfectly doable too. 2-2 two, two body elemental. Ooh. When Bane of Progress enters the battlefield, destroy all artifacts and enchantments. Put a 1-1 one, one counter on Bane of Progress for each permanent destroyed this way. Now, mind you, are you going to run this in all your stacks pieces? Well, Pat, I thought you said you wanted to lay down. I know. I know. I know what I said. Not every game works out that way. Some games, you get shafted. And the best thing you've got is a green sun zenith on turn three without any stacks. Maybe someone removed the only piece you had. Maybe someone countered the god pharaoh statue. If this means getting rid of your carpet of flowers, so be it. Suffer that. Because in most board states, like the first 
one to two to three turns of the game, at least in a CDH setting, are going to be people laying down all the artifacts and enchantments that they have in their list. All of the value-added game setup cards that people play on those early turns, you break all of them. You wind up with like a 14-14. Why not? This is really great. And it's... If you can... I'll say this. If if you do the Orb of Dreams, right? Permanents come into play tapped. Or you have your... Carp, uh, not Carpet of Flowers, but your... Um, Root Maze on the battlefield. And someone's cast their Dockside Extortionist. And made seven treasures tapped. Well, then it's okay. I'll say it's okay to break the Orb of Dreams in the Root Maze if it means laying down a Bane of Progress and destroying all those treasures. Then it's okay. Because that's a, totally an option for you. And if you don't want to do that, you also have Regal Behemoth in this list. This is one I'm going to put half an asterisk on. I love it. I'm playing it. I've tested it multiple times. We still need a draw in this version of the list. And Green Sun Zenith translating to draw this way is fantastic because we can well we can't get Kozlak with this we can get well this is it <laughs> this is the one you want i'm going to stick with what i've listed here for four generic double grains same cost as our bane of progress five five body lizard giant lizard trample when regal behemoth enters the battlefield you become the monarch uh, you're going to hold on to monarch trust me and if you lose monarch swing a regal behemoth their way you will get Monarch back. You want it, not only for the draw, but whenever you tap a land for mana while you're the Monarch, add one mana of any color to your mana pool. Well, this plays into what I was talking about just a second ago. It's okay for Belby to die. It's really okay for Belby to die after you've laid down Regal Behemoth. Because all of your lands from here on out are going to tap for two more. It's like the best bubbling muck, high tide, you name it. You're going to get value from your lands from here on out. Um, it, of any color, not only are you just getting extra mana from them, extra value from them, right? You get like a little portable agent tombs. You're getting one mana of any color, so it's all the color fixing you need as well. Regal Behemoth has been great in the list. I want to say it sticks around for now as one of the bombs off of Green Sun Zenith, but who knows? Again, this wine can go any direction. Now, this is all good and well. Like I said, this is a stacks list. Sometimes you play for attrition, but a lot of you in the audience want to know what what is the plan for winning the game? I know what's tricky about stacks and some of the argument points that I've seen brought up throughout a lot of our community polls, a lot of discussions here on the channel, is that stacks is easily the most difficult archetype of list to pilot because oftentimes it can feel like that player is waffling. And as an opponent, it, it sucks to feel like you're just going against someone who's trying to make your day horrible. Trust me, there is a plan here. And the win cons, as the list is set up now, are Machias and Triskelion. We know the Mike Trike combo. I'll read off the relevant notes here. Uh, Triskelion has Undying and is a plus one, plus one. So Triskelion is a two, two. Triskelion comes in with three counters. What does this mean for us? We are gonna use Triskelion to ping someone and then ping itself twice. It'll come back, it has Undying. Oh, it gets an additional plus one, plus one counter. So it's got four plus one, plus one counters. It's gonna ping two opponents, ping itself twice. It's gonna keep doing this until the board is wiped out. If you don't know what Mike Trike is, well, there you go. Short tutorial. You know, it didn't, it didn't take five minutes to go over that one. 
This next one is a little bit interesting though. We have Necrotic Ooze. I've mentioned this earlier, doesn't care about Orb of Dreams and it doesn't care about your opponents either because it's willing to do anything with their grave and your grave to destroy them. So Necrotic Ooze, two generic, double black, creature Ooze, 4-3 body. As long as Necrotic Ooze is on the battlefield, it has all activated abilities of all creature cards in all graveyards. Did I say all enough times? Well, we got Triskelion. That's one part of the combo. You can add Walking Ballista for redundancy. It's good for Buried Alive piles, which we'll talk about in a second. I've actually omitted Walking Ballista for now. It's in the sideboard if you're looking at this list. You can very well add it to the list should you choose. Also very good with an abundance of mana. But to finish off this Necroticus cocktail, getting boozy with this, <laughs> with this deck tech. Phyrexian Devourer. Six generic, you can cast this with Belby mana. Do you want to cast it with, I don't really think so, but hear me out. One, one body. When Phyrexian Devourer's power is seven or greater, sacrifice it. This is a trigger. So you could keep doing the thing, the bottom thing if you want, but you're not going to. Exile the top card of your library. Put a plus one, plus one counter on Phyrexian Devourer where X is the exiled card's mana value. So let me get this straight. I get that ability without the detriment of sacrificing the thing if Necrotic Ooze does it. Oh, and then I also get Triskelion's ability to remove plus one, plus one counters. So if you ever wondered why I slammed so many high CMC cards into this deck, it's because on average, when I've done the Necrotic Ooze line, I will get anywhere between 140 plus one, plus one counters to 150, I'll say. I'd like to think that's the common average if I do this early enough. And you can win with Necrotic Ooze as early as turn three. You're not waffling here. All of these things you can do very early and with protection provided you've laid down stacks prior. Again, Trini Sphere being the best solution for this. So let's just go over my favorite line of play with this list. This card's come in and out of the deck multiple times, but Pat, how do you get Mike and Trike out so soon? What do you do with this? Well, here's the pretend scenario. Turn one, you do your Night Market Lookout. We're gonna save the Thornbow Archer for another game. Turn two, you play Belby. You cast your Hedron Archive and you cast Trini Sphere. Do we have the mana for that? Uh, I think we do. Turn three rolls around. Trini Sphere is still there. People are complaining. It's okay. You're going to finish the game for them. This is what they wanted, right? Tooth and Nail. For five generic double green sorcery speed. We've all seen this, but it's very cool here. I'll tell you why. Choose one, search your library for up to two creature cards, reveal them and put them into your hand, then shuffle your library. Well, we're entwining this thing, don't worry. Put up to two creature cards from your hand onto the battlefield. That is, let me see, two, five, carry the two, that's nine mana. What? What's the average amount of mana we have on turn three? Eight to 10? Oh, I can entwine tooth and nail on turn three, provided I have a third land drop, or an additional the hedron archive we ugh, we just poured so much mana into this i didn't even need to lay a land down for this turn and trini spheres down does anyone have interaction for me does anyone tooth and nail done game over next game see i'm not we're not waffling stacks is easy uh tooth and nail is amazing for this list if for some reason Makai's and Triskelion are no longer in your deck or unavailable during this, it's okay to grab Void Winnower and one part of the combo, or it's okay to just grab two big dumb things, a Regal Behemoth, I wanna draw, and my Void Winnower, all within the realm of possibility on turn three. That sounds nice. Now I've mentioned this already, 
But remember the Necrotic Ooze, Phyrexian Devourer, Triskelion thing, and or Walking Ballista. Those three cards, there's a lot of cards you need to play with. I'll make it easier for you. How about Buried Alive? Buried Alive. That same scenario, right, with the Trini Sphere? Let's just say we do that again. This time with Thornbow Archer. Turn one, Thornbow Archer. Turn two, Belby. Into Hedron Archive and Trini Sphere. Turn three. How do we win the game, Pat? Buried Alive. So for two generic, one black. Search your library for up to three creature cards. Put them into your graveyard, then shuffle your library. Three, the magic number. You might have noticed that there's no entomb in this list. Because three is the magic number. Don't add entomb. Unless you've got some really cool reanimate strategy, don't bother with entomb. Don't need to bother with entomb. Because all of our taxes, all these things are going to make entomb seem much, much worse. Entomb is, practically speaking, in a modern deck, in a modern CDH list, Generally there for the Underworld Breach lines. But you can do like Entomb, Reanimate, Razaketh. But that's the other key card of this combo. We're making how much mana on average? 8 to 10. Turn 2. With a total of 2 lands at least, right, in this illustration. So with Reanimate, for 1 black, put target card from a graveyard and Necrotic Ooze onto the battlefield. Well, we just set up the combo again. We just did it again. Necrotic Ooze, ready to go. Exile, exile, exile. You do have a response? You should have responded to the reanimate. In response, I'll exile the top card of my library. Exile, exile. Keep going so you have all the plus one, plus one counters. People want you to do the math? Say fine. That's Turn Timber Symbiosis. Let me just put a little hash mark here. What's this next one? Oh, Kozilek the Great Distortion. That's 10. Okay, keep going. It's fun. It's really fun. But provided you don't have a Buried of Live, Totally fine. We have at least 26 creatures in this deck, and one of my favorite cards, and <laughs> speaking of the monthly topic, Reserve List, Survival of the Fittest. There's a reason this card is so good, and it's particularly good with reanimate strategies. So Survival of the Fittest, and or Necrotic Ooze lines in this instance. For one generic, one green enchantment, you likely all know what this does if you follow the channel, but one green, discard a creature card, search your library for a creature card, reveal that card, put it in your hand, then shuffle your library. Well, I'm, uh, I'm discarding a creature card and I'm getting a new creature card. Phyrexian Devourer, I like you. One green, you're gone. Triskelion, I like you too. You're gone. I'm doing this all on someone's end step, mind you, because I can use Survival of the Fittest at instant speed. And in the what's more department, it happens to be an activated ability. So it's not affected by our taxes. So we can do the setup and then want to go for Necrotic Ooze, who's four CMC or more in some instances. Thank you. I have the game again. There's more ways to do the thing than you realize. Definitely look over all the cards in the list. Definitely look over all the synergies. I uh, try to encapsulate everything in this deck as quickly as possible, but it is stacks. It is a little convoluted, but I want you to know all of the highlights to this deck. And lastly, the most important part of this video, the cards I'm going to advise you just stay away from. And I know that this might be met with some opposition, but I've played this list quite a bit, and I'll state that only one of these, I'll state, is potentially worth it in the deck but let's just quickly go over six cards that i feel are not appropriate for belby corrupted observer at least my take of belby if you're playing in a cdh setting you can't have a three cmc rock that comes into play tapped cryptolith fragment no no 
Why are you running this? This is not a good card. This is slow. Everything I just illustrated, not possible with Cryptolith Fragment. You, unless you do a forest and a mana crypt and you have this in your hand, what is the probability of that? Can, do we have mathematicians that watch this show? Tell me how often it's gonna be that you have a Cryptolith Fragment, a mana crypt, and a land to fool with on turn one in the same opening hand. This is not a good card. So we have two pingers to discuss and then four other utilities. This happens to be one of the pingers. When you tap it, you add one mana of any color to your mana pool, each player loses one life. That seems okay. Trust me, it's not. You're never gonna flip this card. But at the beginning of your upkeep, each player loses 10 life. Uh, if, if each player has 10 or less life, transform Cryptolith Fragment. The back end is no better than the front. You're not gonna wanna use this card. I'm just stop it there. If this card's in your list, see what's in my list and then put one of those cards in instead because this is not worth it. And that one I am, I'm gonna stand firmly uh, on my belief of that card not being worth it. We can argue it if you want, it's not worth it. Leech Ridden Swamp. Now this one is something I was using initially. It's good, but no, it's slow. You wanna do all these things quickly. Particularly in the current world of CDH, you need to lay hate and stacks soon. Otherwise, you're gonna have a very difficult time stopping the more proactive list. And in certain instances, if someone's, you know, you're not on the play and someone's already gone off with all their stuff and they're primed and ready to win or try to win on turn two or three, if you're relying on pingers like Leech Ridden Swamp, you likely haven't gotten the Belby turn you deserve, that she deserves. So when Belby, or rather, when Leech Ridden Swamp comes into play, it comes into play tap, it's a swamp, so you can use a fetch land to get it, but you pay one, black, it's very similar to Deathrite Shaman, each opponent loses one life. The caveat is that you can only do this if you have two or more black permanents. Well, look at the black permanents that happen to rest in the one to two CMC slot. There aren't that many. There's Belby, right? So you got one, but then the other black permanents happen to be our pingers. So you're doubling down on a thing you don't necessarily need. Again, mid game, sometimes this is appropriate, but because of the meta, I can't afford to have slow lands like this. And I can't afford to use pingers like this either. Now, I'm not gonna say that this is a, a not valid way to play the list, but there are better decks that do this thing. There are better decks that do this thing. I've, I've forever mentioned that if there's a list that has a strategy that you want to employ that does the thing better, play that list. And ad nauseum, if you're trying to turbo out of ad nause, this is, I'm not gonna read ad nause off. You all know what ad nauseum does. Watch my Rograk and Tavesh list if you want to see a list that's built for ad nauseum and one of our other cards I will be mentioning. This is not the list. So in the same scenarios we've mentioned, Thornbow Archer, Belby, Turn two, you're not gonna add Nos. Turn three, you can reliably add Nos. So turn three, you reliably add Nos, and then you're in Golgari. What, what nice, neat, tight little package are you playing that's gonna be better than someone with an Underworld Breach? Someone with a Thassa's Oracle. That's a blue card, that's a red card. We're in Golgari. It's not the strategy we want to play for here. And while yes, there are good ad nauseum packages in Golgari, I couldn't list them off the top of my head because they're unplayable in the current meta. I hate to say it, I hate to say it, but I'll advise you to stay away from this card on top of the fact that 
I didn't read it, but it's ability. When you reveal cards at the top of your library, you're gonna take a massive damage. <laughs> Did you see the list? Don't want to top deck Kozlek, that Adnaz is going to be very, very weak. And I wouldn't even recommend using this for value because at a certain point, if it does come down to attrition, if your life total is sub 20, 15, folks are going to look at you as a prime target for attack because you know what? If they can't just remove the Trini Sphere regularly, they'll be swinging their Krom at you. Same reason we don't add Dark Confidant. For one generic, one black creature, human wizard, at the beginning of your upkeep, reveal the top card of your library, you'd be putting it into your hand, you lose life, equal to its converted mana cost. I know it's a staple. I know it's a staple. Adnaz, it feels like a staple. But don't play for these cards unless you can leverage them to their fullest. And I gotta say, Dark Confidant here, not a good plan. A better draw engine, Kozilek. It feels weird saying. But the way you're supposed to play this deck, the way I advise playing it, everything we've talked about this past hour, Kozilek, you can see Kozilek is far above Dark Confidant. In the world, the scenarios we're trying to set up, Kozilek is better in every game. You don't want to lose life for this guy. Trust me. You can add it. Maybe your deck is a lower CMC. Maybe it's doing something that is out of this world and I've never seen it. Don't use Dark Confidant and don't use Necropotence. These are all staple black cards. These are all cards in a separate video I'll encourage you to buy via the link in the description through TCG Player because it's the best choice you can make in the day. But not, not for this deck. Necropotence, triple black, enchantment, skip your draw step. You know what it does. You pay life, exile the top card of your library. You get individual triggers that put those exiled cards into your hand. Um, yes, this is one you could add to the list, but triple black is hard to do in this list. You might have noticed we don't run Dark Ritual. We don't run any of the things that are going to give us the black we need necessary to do this quickly. Yes, the Deathrite Shaman. Yes, the one, the one girl that pings you and gives you black. What is the name of that elf? It's in the deck. Elves of Deep Shadow. Yes, we can get there, but it's not worth trying to get there. You're in Golgari. Use Sylvan Library. Use any of the other draw engines. Just also get ready for a Hull Breacher in case that happens okay but necropotence we're not playing for it necropotence predominantly for in this day and age unless it's a zur list using necro for a um win line necro is usually for value and i'll say that this is still fine for value here but it's going to be a difficult card to drop and lastly on this list the one card i'll say that is fine but overkill is pure into the abyss now look, you yes, you can cast this very easily in this deck, mid to late game, but you're also spending 7 mana to do this. And if you look over the deck, we don't have a lot of fast mana solutions, we don't have the rituals. I just mentioned there's no dark ritual. So if you cast this at sorcery speed, target player draws a card, cards equal to half the number of cards in their library and loses uh, half their life, round up each time. Yeah, it's really good. We have a ton of draw engines already. Go ahead and look over the list. I did not mention every single draw utility, but over any of those, I would rather have the Regal Behemoth. Kill my Belby, move on with life, be the Monarch, wear a crown for a day, draw a singular card, tap for a lot of mana. In that scenario, I'm happy. Peer into the Abyss, I'm not happy spending seven mana for this, and it's not very easy to get to, mind you. And it's never gonna be a priority for this list. Again, 
if there's a deck that does the thing better. Like if you just want to cast Ad Nauseum and Peer into the Abyss, I encourage you, I implore you, watch my Rograk and Tevesh Primer. That is the deck for you. Yeah, even play a blue farm list, even play Doom Scramble, all the fun wacky names that people come up for partner pairings. Play one of those lists instead, something in Grixis, usually. And or Rograk and Devesh. Shh, secretly the best, trust me. If you want to cast expensive-ass black spells, Ad Nauseam, Appearance of the Abyss, just play that list instead. Rograk makes it extremely easy to use any of these utilities very quickly. Devesh draws cards. But I wouldn't use it in Belby, and I would never encourage you to do that either. Those are the six cards I'm going to encourage you. Again, please stay away from these cards in Belby. I know they sound fun. They're better in other lists. They're funner in other lists. If you're playing Belby, the fun you're going to be trying to savor is all the sweet, sweet stacks you're laying down, all the big, dumb things you get to drop, and all the ways you can destroy your opponents with what I've put out there for you. So check over the list. Check it twice. You're going to find out everything's naughty and hopefully enjoy it. But guys, as with all of my list, I encourage you to take this and do with what you will. If you're on a budget, obviously a lot of these options like the survival of the fittest are not going to be within everyone's range. There are plenty of great alternatives for you. Plenty of six drops, six generic drops. I didn't add like still Hellkite to the world, stuff like that, that you can totally add. Belby is fantastic from casual all the way to competitive. This girl is one of the best legendaries that Golgari has to offer. And I'm so excited that I finally get to share the list in totality with you. Now, as I do with all of our videos, I like to thank one lucky random Patreon member, and that Patreon member today is Paul Ogersby. What a fantastic name. Paul is a long-standing Patreon member and among the best. Thank you, Paul, for being one of our brew babies. And for his thoughts on the monthly topic, I'll be reading for brew crew member Carl. 329. I'm a person that hates when I have to proxy in paper and likes to play a variety of decks every time I sit down. The expensive cards mean that in 15 decks, I can only make one or two truly competitive. And that's only because they don't have blue or black in them. You can make competitive decks on a budget, but it's still an uphill struggle and they will strictly be worse normally. I have a few reserve list cards that in the last year have become three to ten times more expensive, so I'll never own another copy of them. And then there are reserve list cards I didn't buy because I didn't have a current list brewed for them, and now cards have come out that make me brew a new list and I look and I'll just never buy that deck. 99 cards don't get bought because the 100th is 300 or 500 or a thousand. And therein lies the real paradox of the reserve list because like Carl, like many other players, we all wanna play with the actual cardboard. And this is a collectible TCG, we, we get it. It is a trading card game first and foremost, and it is a business for many, but it sucks for the players that just want to own and play with a Gilded Drake, with a Time Twister, all these things that are just outlandishly priced and completely unavailable for some. And I mean staples like dual lands to certain tutors. It's difficult. I understand. I totally get you. And I don't know what the fix is other than proxying cards. And from a personal standpoint, I don't proxy any cards I don't own because I know a lot of people are sensitive to cards not being in the individual's ownership. But to you, if you're gonna sit down to play a game with me, I highly encourage you, please let us both play at our best, play with the proxies. 
it's okay to have the most efficient list. I think others have said it already in our previous monthlies, but you know, I would rather challenge a player and not a collector. I want to know that you have all the resources you felt you needed at your disposal. And just, you know, owning the time twister doesn't make you a better player, but it gives you that option at least, right? Having the proxy around. So this has been a really interesting topic. Again, I'd love to hear your thoughts in the comment section down below. But again, I hope you enjoyed this Belby deck tech. I love the girl. I highly encourage you to check her out. Again, my name is Patrick Marlette and happy Bruin babies.